Amen. Thank you, praise team. And praise God, there is one name above all names that has great power and can bring peace to any situation, and it's Jesus. The children are heading off to Children's Church to learn with Pastor Bradley and hear God speak and learn about Jesus. And I want you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and be turning with me to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And we're in chapter 23, if you want to be making your way there. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one there in the pew rack in front of you. And so we can all have our hearts open before the Word of God and we can hear him speak. As you're turning to Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah is going to be sharing a, a burden that he has for his nation, a heavy weight that's on his heart. It's a weight, not only because it's the word of the Lord that's always heavy to carry, but the message he has to proclaim is not actually something everyone wants to hear. It's not always easy to bring God's word and call out sin. Not everybody appreciates that, right? The call to repentance isn't always well accepted. Uh, But as Jeremiah brings this word, it would have been much easier for him just to go along with the political establishment, just to go along with the culture, go along with all the false prophets and, and not speak out. That would have been the easy path. But the path that he was going to be was faithful. And that meant speaking God's word faithfully and true to the situation that was at hand. And for him, it was a heavy burden. It was a heavy burden because he had a heavy heart for his people. He had a heavy heart for God's people, Israel, the southern kingdom in particular, because he realized judgment was on the horizon and God was going to judge his people. You see, why was that going to happen? Well, Israel had forgotten that God was present among them, that he was there in their midst. They were living as though he wasn't in their midst. You see, when you go back to the beginning and realize how God established this nation, when he set them free from bondage in Egypt, it was there that he led them out into the wilderness, even there to the Red Sea as a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. It was there that he led them through the the, the Red Sea and for 40 years through the wilderness, he led them as that pillar of fire. His presence was there with him. He had told Moses in Exodus chapter 25 that let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God's desire was to be present with his people. That he would tabernacle with them. He would set up a tent with them. And the 12 tribes there would establish themselves all around God and his worship right there in the center of those 12 tribes. God's glorious presence, the Shekinah glory, came and filled the Holy of Holies. Just imagine standing at your tent and with your family looking out the tent and looking there, over there, son, see it? That's the tabernacle. And see that pillar of fire? That's the presence of God among us. Could you imagine what that looked like? I can't imagine. And yet what's amazing is that glorious present, that manifest presence of God was there among his people. It was that glorious presence that Solomon prayed for when he built that glorious temple and established it there. That God's presence would come and fill that temple and the people would know. And after that humble, broken, contrite prayer that Solomon offered over in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7. When he offered that prayer, God's presence filled that place. And God chose to allow his presence to be evident through that radiant splendor there. And yet God is still everywhere. 
But he was there in that temple in a special way. After the Jews determined that, you know what, we are going to uh, not acknowledge him. In fact, they began to embrace the idols of the pagan nations around them. And as they worshipped those idols and went into immorality, the presence of God eventually left the temple. Ezekiel talks about it in Ezekiel chapter 10. As, as the cherubim led that presence away and, and God walked away and, and what came next was the destruction by the Babylonian army. This was during the time of Jeremiah. God, God had in fact prophesied that this was going to happen. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 17 and 18, he had said this. He had warned, my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. And I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because, listen, our God is not among us. If God is omnipresent, he is present everywhere. But his presence isn't always sensed or known. Sometimes it's not obvious that he's present. Sometimes it is clear and obvious that he is present in a peculiar way. When God withdrew from his people, that's never what he wants to do. He made us to have fellowship with us. It's his desire to have fellowship with those who are made in his image. But it was his people who forced that to happen. Because you see, whenever God, his dwelling, his nation, uh, when a church or even a people, when we fill our lives with objects of false worship, God will not reside there. He will not share his glory with another. In fact, Satan has organized this whole world to try to squeeze God out of everything possible. This should be a burden for you and a burden for me even as we look at our nation today. Because our nation has forgotten that God is present everywhere. There's no fear of God in the eyes of man today. You stop and think about it. While we print in God we trust on our money, the truth is we don't trust in God. Far too many trust in government. Rather than God. Far too many trust in mammon rather than God. We, we took prayer out of schools, right? But the amazing thing is, even though you take prayers out of school, and you say, we're just going to remove his presence, he's still there. Because he's everywhere. Some wanted to take God's law, the Ten Commandments. They wanted to remove them from the courthouses. We want to remove his presence there from the, from the courthouses. And what is right and what is wrong. But the amazing thing is, his presence is still there. Even if it's not acknowledged, if it's not recognized, if it's not manifest in some way. In fact, the sad thing is, sometimes we go about our day working, consumed, doing things at home or in the office, and acting, listen, as though what we experienced on Sunday is enough to get us throughout the week because we had God there and He's not anywhere else. We live like that. But the truth is, He is everywhere. And even though you and I may fill our lives with Idols and things that, that have our affections, have our love. And we wonder sometimes, why isn't God manifest in my life? Why isn't God working in my life? It may be not because God has left. It may be because you and I have just neglected to acknowledge you're here and you're present. And maybe God is convicting us today and helping us to realize, you know what? God, you are everywhere. And I frankly just need to acknowledge it. And then surrender and yield to what you would have me to do. With your presence among me. 
Paul reminded us in Hebrews, listen, you and I should not neglect so great a salvation because it's been given to us. And what happens is when you and I don't acknowledge God's presence and God's around us and God's in us and God's with us, we're doing just that. We're neglecting the great salvation that has come to us because Jesus came and tabernacled among us so that we could experience the presence of God in our life. The spokesmen, the prophets, who were supposed to be making people aware of God's presence in Jeremiah's day, were not doing that at all. In fact, their lives were consumed with everything but the presence of God. And their eyes were not open, nor their ears open to hear what God had to say. They hadn't stood in His presence. And as God spoke, man, they didn't have a word for the people. But if they had had a word, it would have been, God is near and He's not far. In fact, I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord so that we can consider what is it that about God's omnipresence that I should recognize today? What must I be reminded of today? And Jeremiah reveals what God says when he asks these three questions. I'm going to back up to verse 18 of chapter 23 and just read down through it. But I'll highlight some things in, all throughout Jeremiah's prophecy and some things of significance to help us to realize why I should live aware that God is present. Verse 18, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? You can just imagine like maybe being in, in a high court, a council with God there on his throne speaking and someone actually stopping and listening, being in his presence to hear what he has to say. Who's done that? Has anyone done that? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, verse 19, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. Judgment's coming. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked and the anger of the Lord will not turn back. Until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. And I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I not a God? Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. And Father in heaven, we recognize today that you do fill heaven and earth. Father, I pray that everyone recognize that, recognizes that this morning and that we realize you are everywhere. God, I pray that that would change the way we live every day, every time of the day. That, God, we would be good theologians and think rightly about you. And that would help us to renew our lives as we live out our lives in your presence. And, Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you make it possible to experience the presence of God each and every day. Not just here in this sanctuary, but, Lord, wherever we may go. And so, Lord, today, teach us about your presence. Teach us that everything is present to you. And so are we. And we love you and we praise you and ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. What does it mean when we say God is omnipresent? Last week we saw God is omniscient, which means he knows all things. He knows all things because he is everywhere to see all things. He is in all places. God's 
Omnipresence means that he transcends all limitations of space and is present in the fullness of his being in every place, but in varying ways. God is everywhere. Has it ever dawned on you that God doesn't have to go anywhere? Because he is everywhere. I mean, he never gets up and moves to go someplace new because he's there. In fact, it's impossible for us to be in two places at one time. But God is in all places at all times. He fills the heavens and he fills the earth. Now, some will say, if God is everywhere, where is God when I really need him? You ever said that? God, where are you when I need you right now? Why are you so far away? Why do I feel like you're so far away? Well, the truth is God has never been far away from any of us. In fact, he isn't far away from us. We may be far away from him. We may have so turned away from him, so tuned him out, so acted as though he is not present that it senses and feels, we sense and feel that he is not there. But he is. He is just one prayer away from manifesting his presence. You see, because there's no place that God is not. God is everywhere. He is spirit. He's not limited like you and like me to space. He's not limited by time. Why? Because he is infinite. And being spirit, he is not limited to space. He is because space, he made space and he fills all of it. He is not limited like we are. God has no limitations. He's a great and awesome God, infinite. And although the world, listen, although we often say that God is everywhere in the world, it might actually be better to say that the world is everywhere in God. As Paul would say over in book of Acts chapter 17, when he said on Mars Hill, he summed it up. God is not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God fills every space of his universe. And the amazing thing is it's not part of him in one place and part of him in the other. All of God is present in all places at all times. God sees and knows everything. He's not affected by the space like us, but he makes himself manifest in certain places, in certain manners, in varying ways that he doesn't in other places. We're apt to think that when God made the universe and he defined that space, that there was just a a little bit further, the edge of the universe, and, and, and that God wasn't there. But he is. He's everywhere. He's even beyond all those things. Because he cannot be contained by space. He fills every place at every time with his entire being. And the people in Jeremiah's day had been privileged to know that. And to see that. And to understand that. Because he had been with his people in a peculiar way. His presence was evident. It had guided them out of the bondage of Egypt and had been there with them in the wilderness. It had been with them in the promised land. His presence had filled the tabernacle. Everyone could see it. His presence filled the temple when Solomon built it. But in Jeremiah's day, according to Ezekiel chapter 10, that presence left the temple. Stop for a moment and just consider, if you were a priest serving, would you not know that God's presence had left? Would that not be a warning? You would say, we've got something to share with the people. We must declare this truth. God's presence is not among us. And yet they were so blind and oblivious to God's absence that they didn't even recognize it. The false prophets who acted as though they had been in God's presence to hear what God had to say and were to bring God's word to God's people had not stood in his counsel. They did not come and declare the truth of what God had said. As it says back in verse 18, 
They had not declared because they had not been in his council. And so what had happened is actually they had been in the presence of other leaders, the, the political leaders, the business leaders. They had colluded with them. They had worked with them. They had provided cover for their schemes and their corruption and their wickedness. You can read about it over in chapter 22. Over there in verses 13 and 17 and 21, Jeremiah says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. You see, the leaders had exploited the people, taking advantage of them. God was fully aware of it and he was calling them to account. But the false prophets had actually enabled that to happen. In fact, down in verse 15, shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. But was not this knowing me? What? Doing the right thing? Being evident and being obvious that, that we were doing the will of God? Yes. Yet your eyes and your heart are of nothing but your own covetousness for the shedding of innocent blood. To practice oppression and violence. Verse 21 of chapter 22. I spoke to you in your prosperity. And you said, I will not hear. And this has been your manner from your days of your youth. That you did not obey my voice. God speaks to them and says, you're indicted. You're guilty. Here's the situation. You have not, not acknowledged my presence. You have lived as though I'm not there. The things that I commanded you to do, which are righteousness and justice, you haven't even done them, though I am a righteous king and I am a just king. You who represented me, I put you in that political office. I put you there and gave you the responsibility to do the right thing, to prosecute those who do the wrong thing, the wicked thing, and yet you didn't do it. And the priests and the prophets did not stop it. Now some will say, well, you know, the, the pulpit shouldn't speak about political issues. Yes, it should. Because it affects righteousness, right living. We have a responsibility to call those things out. It's not being political. It's being of the party of the lion and the lamb and calling things as he defines them as right and as wrong. No matter what party is represented in whatever governing house. Jeremiah had a burden because he had to bring that word to his people, to the leaders, and all the prophets around him who would not speak that truth, would not speak like him and call it out. He had a heavy weight. And his word to them is the question God asked, which is this. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Is God so near that he can't see the big picture? That's the question that he is asking. The prophets were acting, the priests were acting like God wasn't aware of everything that was going on because they controlled him in the temple. He was near, he was there. We got him under control here in the house. We got everything under control. We're, we're, we got this, we're, we got it all figured out. He doesn't know everything that's going on. And his question is this, oh no, I do know everything that's going on. Do you think that I'm just near, that I'm not afar also? Now we've already discussed this, we've already learned these attributes of God. That the way God relates to us in his presence is twofold. One, he is transcendent. He is above all things. Our God is exalted. He sits on his throne in heaven. He sees all things. And because of that, if you properly know that, then there is a reverence in your heart that he's God and we're not. 
But the other extreme is this. And we realize these two poles, one we reverence a transcendent God, but that God also is imminent. He is near. He is present among us, knowing every intricate little detail about your life and my life. And as such, there is, as it would say in Proverbs chapter 2 when we study that, not just to fear the Lord, but we understand or find the knowledge of God, a term of intimacy, because he's so near. They had God near, but they thought, well, he's not far. He's not aware of everything. But God is both transcendent and eminent. The false prophets had led people astray. They had sinned by their collusion with the political establishment and gave the, false, the people a false sense of security that God would not judge the nation. But the reality is these shepherds were not good shepherds. In fact, there's a warning over in verse 1 of chapter 3. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. They were not doing what they were supposed to do. Even today, when pastors fail to proclaim the word of God clear and straight, it's happening right now in our convention, not calling it straight. Like we really have to debate what God says about women pastors. It's obvious and clear in the word. But no, we don't understand that. We're going to just, we got this covered. No, they were supposed to speak the truth and they weren't doing it. And they act like God says, do you not know that I know everything that's going on? I am transcendent. I am far above. I see and I'm aware of all the things that are transpiring. Not just in the temple where you think you've got everything covered. Not just in the place of worship. No, no, no. I see everything. I see all the things. But they acted as though God wasn't aware of what was going on. So he asked them this question. Is, is, am I so near that I cannot see, uh, that I'm not a God afar off also? You see, what we need to realize is God is near and God is far. He is both. He is all things. He is everywhere. He fills every place with his full presence. And he sees and he knows everything that is transpiring. That's why he asked this second question in verse 24. What does he say? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? I mean, when you stop and think about it, they thought that they could hide from him. They thought that they, God wasn't fully aware of some things. And see, what happens is when you reject and don't acknowledge the presence of God, you and I will act like he doesn't know what's going on. But beloved, he does. He knows everything. Nobody can hide from him. God's not blinded. God's not unaware. God sees. God knows everything. Not just what happens in the temple, but even in our hearts. He sees and he knows in fact, he had already called this out. I'll flip over to Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. You can write that in the margin of your Bible. Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. He had already called the people to account and the leaders to account in this way. They were trusting in lying words. The people were coming. And listen to what Jeremiah said over in Jeremiah 7, verses 9 and following. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by name, my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But now go to my place, which is in Shiloh, and there I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. 
God's people were living, listen, doing all kinds of abominable things. They were covetousness, they were greedy, they were stealing, committing murder, committing adultery, stealing, worshiping Baal, swearing falsely, violating all the laws of God. And they were doing that throughout the week and then coming into the presence of God in the house and acting like they had been delivered from all these things or to do all these things. And God says, look what I did to Shalom when this happened before, when my people acted this way. And the swift judgment that I brought upon them. Do you not realize I see everything? You cannot hide anything from me. You see, beloved, we act like this sometime throughout the week. Well, yeah, we had a great worship service. We met with God there on Sunday morning. But then we go live godless throughout the week like God doesn't know. He does. He is fully aware, obvious, evident. Yes, we can hide. We can act like no one sees, no one knows what's going on. Think we can get away in a room. Think we can get away in an office. Think we can get away on a vacation and no one sees, no one knows. I can do whatever I want to do. God sees. God knows everything. Proverbs would say it this way. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch over the wicked and the good. In fact, when David wrote a song about it over in Psalm 139, when he celebrated these three omni omni, attributes of God, God's omniscience, which we saw last week, God's omnipresence, which we'll consider here in a moment, and which next week what we'll consider God's omnipotence, it's amazing what he says. There are some people, God knows everything about them, and they think they can run from God. You can't. He says, where can I flee? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In other words, I'm undone. God knows. I think I'll go hide. I think I'll just run from him and find some trees and cover myself up and he'll not see me. No, no. David says, listen, if I go to heaven, behold, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there as well. If I take the wings of a bird and I fly away in the morning, maybe to a high mountain, and dwell or even dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall find me. It shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. For the night shines as the day and the darkness and the light, they're both alike to you. You see, beloved, there's nowhere you and I can go that God is not there. Listen, death will not separate us from him. If you die and go to heaven, man, praise God, we get to experience the presence of God, and it is a good presence to be in. Amen? But do you realize if we make our bed in Sheol and we go there, someone, I don't want to go there, amen? But if you go there, listen to this, God is present there as well. But you will not experience his divine omnibenevolence and grace and mercy and everything else he's got for you. What you experience there is his judgment. But he's present there to exert his judgment, to exact his judgment, his wrath. Some people think, listen, I, there's some topography. I can go to some geographical location. I can go to the top of a mountain. I can take the birds of a wing and the wings of a bird, rather, birds of a wing, the wings of a bird, and fly away. Just make sure you're paying attention. That you can get there, and God's, God's not there. Yeah, he is. In fact, he's in the depths of the sea. You know how I know that? You ever read Jonah? Jonah prayed a prayer from the bottom of the ocean, and guess what? God said, okay, let me send a whale. Sucked him up. Spit him out on the beach, because he had a mission. God was there among him. In fact, listen, darkness to God is light. It's not separating us from him. David had wrote a song about this. Did they not know this? Did they not know that God is in every place? We can't hide from him. He fills every space. Every place is evident to him. 
You see, the prophets had darkened the hearts of the people by not giving them the light of God's word. And they had led the people astray. And so they had forgotten that their God was present. And that God was omniscient. And he knew everything that was happening among them. But the prophets did not act in that way themselves. And they did not hold the the leaders, the business leaders, the political leaders, the establishment, did not hold them to account. And as a result, judgment was coming. If they had just spoken God's word, what would have happened? You would have turned them away from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. I mean, that's the responsibility of the prophet. That's the responsibility of the priest. That's the responsibility that we have is declared, thus saith the Lord, this is God's word. Now, do rightly. Obey. But these people did not want to obey. Even from their youth, he said, you didn't want to listen. You didn't want to obey my word. So God asked the third question. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Says the Lord, do you not realize I'm omnipresent? I am, yes, indeed, in all places. Despite the false deception of the prophets, despite the evils that had been perpetuated by the, by the leaders of the nation, they were exposed, and one day they would be judged. Judgment was coming, and nothing could stop it. And in the latter days, they would look back and say, We know what happened. We know why it happened. We know why this came. You see, Jehovah had already declared this message to his people. He was able to see all things that were happening, and yet they were unwilling to acknowledge it. No one can hide from him. His presence is everywhere in all places. And he had stated this, but they didn't realize it. They, didn't, they never even took time to stand in his presence and hear his counsel and receive his word and mark it and bring it to the people. The problem today is you've got preachers that want to market things. And bring it to God's house. Which has nothing being the marked word of God. And now there was nowhere to escape. The prophets led the people astray. In fact, you know what's worse than not telling people the word of God? It's leading them to worship the wrong God. And that's what they did. Notice this. Follow this with me. Verse 25. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart. Watch this. Verse 27. Who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells to his neighbor, as their fathers forget my name for Baal. They forgot my name for Baal. You see, these prophets were leading God's people not just to forsake God, but also to find a cistern that couldn't hold any water, and it was Baal. That was the warning. This is what is happening to my people. These prophets aren't really true prophets. They're liars. They're deceivers. And so it's not surprising down in verse 30, verse 31, verse 32, God would say over and over again, I am against the prophet who steal my words. I am against the prophets who use their tongues and say, God says, I'm against the prophets who give false dreams. I am against, I am against, I am against. Judgment was coming suddenly and severely, and they could not reverse it. The die had been cast. Why? Because they forgot. God's everywhere, y'all. He sees and knows everything that's happening in your life and my life. We can act like some of the people around us don't know, and they may not know, but God knows everything. And what you and I need to realize is I need to guard against forgetting that God is omnipresent. How do we do that? 
Well, I realize this. When God feels the presence everywhere with his whole being, it's a mystery to you and me. You and I cannot fully comprehend it in our finite, limited understanding. God being infinite, how, how he fills all of his pr- presence in every place. You and I cannot fully figure out all of that because we're limited in so many ways. And yet, just because we don't understand it, that is, should be the reason why we worship him, we admire him, we adore him, we magnify him. But what we do know is God does make himself manifest in peculiar ways. In special ways. In fact, what's fascinating is you realize if God is in every place at all times with his entire being, then God fills every space sovereignly. He is in control. Now, see, for the believer, that is so good to know, right? Because when I'm going through a circumstance or a trial where I have no control over it, and I'm wondering, God, where are you? What's happening? I can rest on this truth. My God is near and not far, and my God is in control of what's happening. And for my heart and for your heart, even when we're wrestling and anxious about what is happening, I can rest knowing he is in control. He knows, fully aware of what is happening and has all the power to do something to do his will in that circumstance and situation. And sometimes we got to do what we just sang. We just got to speak Jesus in that moment because he reigns and he rules over the situation. He fills every space sovereignly in control of it, and he fills every space gloriously. The heavens and the earth, uh, they, they, they declare the glory of God, his eternal power, his Godhead, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 1. They're made manifest in the, in the created order. Even when the mankind does not recognize him and worships the created things rather than the creator God, God's infinite presence is there. He is among us, and it is a great and glorious presence. Well, if that's true, how should that affect you and me tomorrow when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the store, with the conversations that we have on the ball field or in the, in the canteen, when we're talking to people, when we're living just day by day by day. God's presence isn't limited here to Chipley Ford Road. God's presence goes with us where we go for the believer. Amen? And it should be a glorious presence that is there. When his presence was seen and made manifest, it was a glorious pillar of fire. It was a glorious pillar of smoke that led God's people. It distinguished God's people from the nations around them. It separated his people even from their enemy, Pharaoh and his army. That that presence filled the, the tabernacle. That presence filled the temple. When that presence went up and said, move, the people said, time to go. And they blew the silver trumpets and let's march, let's move. Wherever he leads, we go. And he did that faithfully. In fact, what's amazing is stop and think about this. When Moses went up on the mountain and he was there in the presence of God, when he came back down, what happened? His face shone. So much they said, hey, Moses, can you wrap that up with a veil? Why? Because he'd been in the presence of God. Your life, my life should be like that. If God is gloriously present in and among us, then your face and my face should radiate. They've been in the presence of God. When you and I are in our Bible studies in the morning and we open God's word and his word is there and he speaks to us and we're in the counsel of what he has to say and we have an ear and a heart that wants to hear him, our faces should radiate because we've been with him. And when we go throughout the day, they should see it in you and in me. 
The amazing thing is when he fills this space gloriously, he fills this space personally. It is him. I mean, this is the amazing thing. The transcendent God, he fills all of heaven. The imminent God, he fills all of earth. That's how he relates to us. And yet, here's the amazing thing. When he reigns in heaven, he sits on his throne gloriously. But when he reigns in your heart and my heart, it's a gracious provision that he does that. In fact, Isaiah 57 reminds us of that, that God has set his throne and established his throne in heaven, but every contrite, humble heart, he will establish his presence there. And that should be you and that should be me. People should see that in our life, that the presence of God is in us and among us. And the saints in heaven, you know what the saints do? They rest with him. But here we are privileged to walk with him, just as Enoch walked with him. We draw near to him, and he draws near to us. While we can't see him because he's invisible, he's spirit, we can sense and know his presence. We can see the unseen hand of God. And we know with this assurance that his presence is the best thing for us. Or as the psalmist would say, the nearness of my God is my good. Because in his presence, as psalm writer David would say in Psalm 1611, just in his presence is fullness of joy. There's no fear for us of any evil if you're walking with the shepherd. Why? Because he's with us. He's Emmanuel. I mean, I stop and think, what did Jesus say to the disciples? Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He's present among us. Do we walk like that throughout the week? Do we live like that? Are you a good theologian? Are you practicing the right knowledge of God? We all are theologians. Pastor, you got a PhD in systematic theology. You're the theologian. No, 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 no. Everyone is a theologian. Even the atheist is a theologian. He just believes there's no God. That's not good theology. But that's being a theologian. Everyone is practicing theology. But we should be the best theologians. And even if a world around us denies his existence and doesn't live like he is present, his people should live like he's present. Because here's the amazing thing. He is fully aware of what is happening. In your life and my life, the good and the wicked, all the eyes of the Lord are there seeing everything that's happened. But here's the amazing thing. They didn't recognize God's presence left. They didn't recognize and acknowledge and notice his absence. I mean, how do you not do that? How do you not recognize that? He's been with you since he brought you out of bondage and into this promised land. But in all honesty, we're like them in so many ways. We go through the rhythm and rhyme of life, and oftentimes we act as though God isn't present. We live like that at times. In fact, we can go even through a worship service and act like, well, he ain't here. But he is. The question is, am I near him? Because he is everywhere. And yet, you know what's amazing? We worship a God that though that glorious presence left the temple, And though it was gone for years and years, hundreds of years, one day out in a field by night, some shepherds were there and some angels declared, the glory's back. It's in a a manger in Bethlehem. Go and see. And they went and they saw the glory that came. Or as John would say, we beheld his glory. The glorious presence came in a tent. He tabernacled among us. This this flesh, he put it on. Why? 
Why did he put that on? So that he could bring you and me who were far from him, though we're really not far from him, but we were far spiritually from him. Metaphorically, listen, he did that so he could bring us near. Wow, what an amazing God. That he would come, put this stuff on to redeem us. And not only that, when he dies on that cross, pays the penalty for your sin and my sin, and the sin of the whole world, listen, whosoever shall call on the Lord can be saved. Anyone, everyone, someone in this room this morning, someone watching online, listen, someone listening on the radio, anybody can call out, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And because he drew near to us, beloved, we can draw near to him. And the fascinating thing is when Christ arose, he didn't leave us. He said, I got someone else coming. And his glorious presence of his spirit now just doesn't come among us, though he's everywhere. He comes and dwells within us. Wow. What an amazing God. How do we figure all this out? If this doesn't blow your mind, then your God isn't big enough because he's amazing that he could do all this. And Jesus is the one who is so precious and so sweet to us. When you stop and think that that glorious presence has returned. So that we can be made new. So we can be different. So that means tomorrow, student, listen. Though you've enjoyed a great week out, no school for a whole week. Praise the Lord, I know you enjoyed that. Amen. Yeah. And oh boy, I get to go back to school tomorrow. You know what? As a believer, you get to walk into that hallway, walk into that classroom, and you know what? The presence of God is there. Not just because he's in your heart, he's already been there. And by the way, you're his witness. You're the one who bears witness of that. You're the representative of his kingdom. You're the one who bears witness to your classmates. You're the one who gets to testify of his presence in your life. It's not just for the students, moms and dads. Listen, when we go to the office, when we go to the factory, when we go shopping, wherever we may find ourselves, as a believer, listen, the presence of God is in us. And know that we might radiate that to a world around us. We're not creating the light. We're reflecting it. It dwells within us by His glorious presence. What's sad is when you stop and think about what what John would write in the Revelation, there in chapter 3, that God would actually be knocking on the door. Excuse me, can I come in? Excuse me, can my presence come in? Hello, church. Some who thought they were rich, thought they were clothed, thought they could see, but they were blind and naked and poor. And God says, no, let my presence come in. Don't flee from his presence. You're not going to go anywhere that he's not there. Run to him. Realize that. Stop running and acknowledge right now. God, I need you. I need you in my life. You're here. In fact, listen, if you're wrestling, anxious about some circumstance you have no control, he's there. Just recognize him. Say, God, even though I don't feel you, I take you at your word. I take you at your name, Emmanuel, the God who is always with us. God, help me to sense and know your peace and your presence, even, even in the midst of a chaotic storm. Because he's present. Why? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. All of him. In every place. Praise God. Because I need him everywhere. I need him everywhere I go. I need him at every time. And he's the one we should be running to and turning to.